from Matthew chapter 6 and just two verses, uh, 16 to 18. Matthew chapter 6 and verses 16 to 18. And this is Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount. When you fast, do not look sombre as hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I'll tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So we look uh, this morning forward to learning about how to fast. And we're going to be hearing from what Jesus' words say and what uh, he's saying to us this morning. Well, it's great to sing like that, isn't it? Um, When Britain was faced with the threat of invasion by the French, way back in 1756, King George II called for a day of prayer and fasting. John Wesley, who was alive at the time, recorded in his journal on Friday the 6th of February. The fast day was a glorious day, such as London has scarcely seen since the Restoration. Every church in the city was more than full, and a solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God heareth the prayer And there will be yet a lengthening of our tranquility, he wrote. In a footnote, uh, he wrote, Humility was turned into national rejoicing, for the threatened invasion by the French was averted. So the nation prayed and fasted, and the threat was averted. Stuart Robinson, who's the Uh, pastor at Crossway Baptist in Melbourne, in a book that he wrote called Praying the Price, tells how in the summer of 1876, a locust plague destroyed the crops in Minnesota in America. And they destroyed the, the crops of farmers there. And in the spring of the following year, they watched and they waited to see whether the, the locusts again, whether these pests would, would strike again. And if it did, the, the farming future of thousands of families would be uh, permanently wiped out. And the constant unhe- unseasonable heat that that experienced uh, caused a vast army of, of locusts to hatch, a plague of such proportions that would threaten the entire northwest farming sector. And this is what he wrote in, in his book. 
acutely aware of the impending disaster, Governor J.S. Filsbury proclaimed that April the 26th would be a day of prayer and fasting to plead with God to save them from calamity. The governor urged everyone to take part across the state. Many people responded to their governor's call. In gatherings large and small, Minnesotans assembled to fast and pray. After four, hour, after four days, with the locusts all hatched and ready to move, a sudden climactic change at dusk flicked a blanket of frost across the entire area where the locusts waited for the dawn and takeoff. Most were killed right where they crouched. Come summer, instead of a scorched, stubbled dirt, the wheat crop waved in golden glory as far as the eye could see. In the history of Minnesota, April the 26th, 1877, is recorded as a day when God wonderfully responded to the prayer and fasting of his people. Isn't that incredible? People joined together, fasted and prayed, and God worked in mighty ways. I wonder what would happen if the people of Wodonga District Baptist Church fasted and prayed for God to work in mighty ways, like the prayer that Gail led us through, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Imagine if not only we did this, but Christians right across Wodonga, Albury in the region, began to fast and pray that God, his kingdom and his purposes would be advanced rapidly. It seems in a culture, though, where uh, there seems to be shrines all around here of like golden arches, you know, <laughs> McDonald's, and uh, pizza temples, you know, like Eagle Boys and Hollywoods and, uh, you know, La Paquetas and the fried chicken synagogues that we have around, that fasting seems completely out of place. Out of step with the times, even. And kind of, it seems to be that because of all this, fasting, I think it's fair to say, is largely ignored by Christian people, devout Christian people. What, what kind of things come into your mind when I say the word fasting? You know, I wonder what sort of words jump out. Normally, things like, what was one? Starving, yeah. Things like perhaps legalism, you know, or uh, extreme or fanatical or um, no way, <laughs> you know. Uh, I wonder why it is that it's become so uh, disregarded uh, fasting today. I think there's probably two reasons that, that I can kind of think of that, that we kind of don't do this very often now, many people. And I think firstly, because fasting kind of developed a bad reputation in down church history, especially in the Middle Ages. At that time, that was a time where there was a great decline in inward, 
in the inward reality of Christ, of, of the Christian faith. You know, many people, uh, there, there weren't many people that genuinely had a, a vibrant Christian faith in those times. So what happened is they started to look to external things to demonstrate your faith. You get that? You know, so there was a guy called Simon Stylites who actually got right up on top of a pole and just lived there for years and years. Why? To show his devotion to God, of course. And so in that environment, what happens were practices that were tangible and that were seen and could be seen as godly were grasped onto and fasting became a practice that was subject to the most uh, rigorous regulations. And people went to extremes, putting their bodies through ridiculous amounts of pain to prove their godliness. And we strongly react to these excesses. And we can contend to, uh, to confuse fasting with inflicting pain on our bodies. I think that's one reason. The second reason I think has become so disregarded is that we're bombarded with people telling us that if we don't have three uh, you know, square meals a day and snacks in between, we're on the verge of starvation. You know? I find myself saying, come on, kids, eat up, eat up. You can't. You know, and you kind of think they could get the idea that there's something completely unhealthy about going without food. Um, this is coupled also, I think, with a popular belief that it's a positive thing to satisfy every human appetite and that in that environment, fasting seems obsolete. Anyone who seriously attempts to fast today is bombarded with a whole lot of objections from people. You know, like, I understand that fasting is injurious to your health. You know, people say, it will sap your strength and you won't be able to work properly. It, it, won't it destroy your body tissue if you fast? Uh, all of this is just untrue. And yet, uh, these things seem to encourage us, these objections seem to encourage us to overlook passages in the scripture. And the one that we look to at today and others like it seem to be ones that we sort of say, well, they're Old Testament ones and they're ones that aren't really relevant as much to us today. And maybe in the Old Testament, maybe Jesus did a bit and a few others in the New Testament, but really for us today in Wodonga, I mean, you've got to be joking, people think. But you know what? When we look at the scriptures and when we look at those who are recorded in the Bible, who have fasted, it reads like a who's who of the Bible. I mean, the people that fasted are not you just kind of side people. Moses, the lawgiver, you know, there's recorded two separate 40-day fasts that he, he did. David, the king, fasted. Uh, Elijah, the prophet. Esther, the queen. Daniel, the seer. Anna, the prophetess, Paul, the apostle, Jesus Christ, the son of God. Many of the great Christians throughout church history have fasted and testified and witnessed to its value. Among them were people like Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, John Wesley, 
Jonathan Edwards and Charles Finney, these people have been people that fasted. And these words that Jesus spoke as part of his Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever told, imply that Jesus wants his followers to fast. Jesus says, and when you fast, and when you fast, just like it introduced the topic of giving to the poor, you know, and when you give to the needy, and when you pray, now he says, and when you fast. It's implying that we're going to, don't you think? It's not reading too much into that, is it? So what does the Bible actually say about fasting? In the passage that we look at today, again, the context is Jesus is sitting on a mountainside with his disciples around him and people gathering around to listen. Some are his closest followers and down further down the mountain are those that are just listening on. And Jesus is teaching those who would be his followers. And what he's teaching them about what it would mean to be one of his followers, to be one of his disciples. And what he teaches them is radical. I mean, if they were to really do what he's calling them to do and what he calls us to do, you know, his followers would be countercultural. I mean, in a culture that they were living in, they would stand out like salt in a tasteless kind of world, like a city on a hill, you know, that can't be hidden at night. You look and you see the light. That's what Jesus describes his followers would be like. And then he starts to tell them about what that kind of life would be like. He, he says that they'd live as God intended them to. They, they wouldn't just follow the law, the letter of the law, but they'd live it from their hearts. So they wouldn't murder. No, but they wouldn't even get angry. They wouldn't commit adultery. Yeah, they wouldn't commit that. But they wouldn't even look on a woman lustfully. You know, when it, came to, uh, when it came to marriage, they would seek to maintain their marriages at all costs. They'd, they'd say words that were true and they wouldn't have to use oaths to confirm them or to swear by anything. And you know what? They'd turn the other cheek when people hurt them instead of seeking revenge. They'd love their enemies. All of us think... Wow, that's hard. And you know what? If that's you, I'm kind of, we're kind of all in the same boat. And that's why we need Jesus. He's the son of God. He came and he lived and he showed us how to live and then he died and he rose again. And he said, anyone who would put their faith in me will be forgiven and have eternal life and my spirit will come and live in you and help you live the way I'm calling to you to live in a countercultural way. And in this section, you've got your Bibles there in chapter 6, it starts. And Jesus moves in to this section in chapter 6 and he starts from verse 1 and verse 18. And he's been addressing the, the, the followers, his followers about how being radically different from, they to be radically different from the religious people of Jesus' day. They were to avoid religious hypocrisy. Look how the verse 1 starts. It kind of sums up what, we've been, what these last 18 verses have been on about. He said they were to be, be careful about uh, not to do their acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will 
you will have no reward from your heavenly, from your Father in heaven. That's Matthew 6. And then he goes on to give some clear examples of how his followers should not try and do things for public notice, but how they should do it quietly, not to be seen and get all the glory. They do it to their Father, genuine faith, just for, for God. So he says in verse 2, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as you give. The hypocrites do that. They do that in the synagogues and on the street to be honoured by men. I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And then he says in Matthew 6, when it comes to prayer, not only giving, but when it comes to prayer, do not be like the hypocrites for they, have, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Don't be like them, Jesus is saying. And then he says, and when you fast... Do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Jesus is teaching here that when we fast, if we're wondering how, we, how we're to go about fasting, when we fast, we do it in a way that doesn't draw attention to ourselves. We do it in a way that we do it for God, for God. He wants us to, to give to him, not so other people can see. He wants us to, to pray to him, not so other people notice us praying. And he wants us to fast so that we can show our devotion to him, not so that everyone can look, oh, what a spiritual person. They're fasting. Look at all the things they're doing that show that. You know, often the religious people of the day uh, would would do things that were opposite to what Jesus is saying. They would cover their heads and, when fasting or they'd smear their heads with, with ash or dirt you know, to, to, to show their, their mourning as they fasted. And people would notice. People would look and they go, oh, look at that. There's someone fasting. Wow, aren't they great? In contrast, Jesus says the right approach to fasting is to look normal, clean and happy. You know, just... Just be normal if you're fasting. You know, I, I met with a guy, with two guys in Melbourne for a number of years where we met together at the Golden Arches and we um, together would, would pray, would encourage each other to read our Bibles each week and we'd ask tough questions. And I remember uh, we did this for about two years and one time during that time I said to one of the guys, I said, man, you're, look, you're losing weight. And I pressed him and he said, I'm on a 40-day fast. And I said, really? And we've been having breakfast for the last three weeks and I didn't even notice that you haven't been ordering. And, uh, and he said, yeah, yeah. And I said, that's the way it should be. You know, he didn't draw attention to the fact. I was one of the, you know, the ones he was sharing with and everything. And yet he was doing that. And I think Jesus is saying, that's how I want you to be. I'll, I'll, whenever you're doing things for me, do, you know, make it genuine. Don't do it just to show off or to draw attention to yourself. You know, fasting, it actually refers to abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Fasting is abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. It's different from going on a hunger strike where uh, you're trying to get political power and attention to a good cause. Um, it's, it's different from health dieting where... You're abstaining from food for physical purposes. 
these uh, forms of abstaining from food, they're not necessarily wrong. They're just not fasting. Biblical fasting always centers on spiritual purposes. In the scripture, the normal means of fasting involves abstaining from all food, solid or liquid, but not from water. Uh, in the 40 days of Jesus' fast, where he fasted, uh, we're told that he ate nothing. And towards the end of the fast that he was hungry, understandably. And Satan tempted him to eat, indicating that he was abstaining from food but not water. That's Luke 4.2. From a physical standpoint, this is what's usually involved in a fast. No solids, uh, no other juices or anything, but just water. That, that's usually what a, a fast means. But sometimes what could be um, considered a partial fast is described. So there's a restriction of food, but not a complete um, ab absten abstention. You know, it's not like you stop everything. There's some other things that you do as well. So Daniel explained, I ate no delicacy delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all. Daniel normally fasted totally, as described, you know, like we did before, but a, um, this seems a different one, a partial fast. A partial fast. There are several times in Scripture where what's described is an absolute fast. And this is um, abstaining from both food and water. It sounds pretty incredible, doesn't it? It appears to be like a desperate um, measure to meet a dire emergency. So the times when they're described in the Bible, Esther, for example, when she heard that her people were going to be executed, all the Jewish people executed, uh, instructed Mordecai, uh, she said, go and gather all the Jews and hold, fast, hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. That's Esther chapter 4 and verse 16. And Paul too, he engaged in a three-day absolute fast after his encounter with Jesus, the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. Acts 9, 9 says that. You know, since the human uh, body cannot go without water much more than three days, both Moses's and uh, both Moses and Elijah, it seems, engaged in what must only be considered by us as a supernatural, absolute fast for 40 days and for 40 nights. It must be made clear that um, this morning that an absolute fast is the exception and should never be entered into unless you really have a clear sense that this is what you know, God's calling you strongly to do. And then no more than three days, okay? The Bible shows that in most cases, fasting too is a private matter between the individual and God. However, there are numbers of occasions and times where the corporate or public feasts took place. So in these next few remaining moments, I just want to 
put forward some of the reasons why you might consider fasting. And um, I, I want to encourage you to, to begin to fast in some form, some way this morning. So here's some of the reasons. I'm just going to give you five reasons why I think that today the people of Wodonga District Baptist should not write off fasting but should really seek to incorporate it in some measure in our Christian lives. Here's some of the reasons. Uh, just introductory remarks about why we should fast. Uh, we, we do it for God and not for ourselves. And some people think uh, that once we start fasting, that uh, all we need to do is fast and we'll kind of have everybody, the whole world, even God, eating out of our hands, like it's some miraculous, miracle-working thing. But our first, this is, that's not true, and our, de, our first desire and reason must be for God to be closer, to be nearer, to be in communion with him and crying out to God. And that is our reward, Deep, deeper knowing of God. And your father who sees what he's done will reward you, says in our verse today, verse 18. So first of all, why should we fast? You know, I think... Um, when we're asking for a particular blessing from God, fasting is a way to reinforce prayer, to reinforce prayer. When Ezra was carrying a large amount of gold and silver uh, from, the, from the temple in Jerusalem along a route infested with um, ba bandits, he records, I proclaim the fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children as they went to the temple. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this and he answered our prayer. So they wanted something to happen. They were praying for that and they fasted as well and God heard their prayer. In Judges chapter 20, the, the Benjamites committed a terrible crime and the other tribes decided they would go up against them and fight them in battle. They did so and they were twice heavily defeated. And then even though they'd prayed and they'd wept before the Lord, however, the third time they fasted as well and God gave the tribes overwhelming victory. They, their fasting reinforced their prayer. People who pray with fasting, are giving notice that they are really uh, praying in earnest. They don't want to take no for an answer. Andrew Murray uh, puts it this way, fasting helps to express, to deepen and to confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything to sacrifice ourselves to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. Fasting like this has even been known to change God's mind. When the prophet Jonah declared on the instruction of the Lord that Nineveh was about to be destroyed, the Ninevites believed God, they declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And when God saw that they did uh, what they were doing and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion on them and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. That's Jonah uh, 
chapter 3 and verses 5 and 10. And the second thing is, fasting is a sign of repentance and humility. The psalmist wrote, I humbled myself with fasting, Psalm 35, 13. God says that the people who have sinned against him, even now, return to me with all your heart, fasting and weeping and mourning. That's in Joel chapter 2. You know, return to me with fasting and weeping and mourning. Sometimes fasting symbolised mourning and repentance over personal sin. It's what people did. They, when they were mourning over their sin, when they were grieving, they, they fasted. Remember when David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, he mourned and he fasted. So repentance is actually mean turning away from sin, turning right around and going in the opposite direction. And, and sometimes a particular sin begins to get a grip of our lives. You, you know how sometimes we really find ourselves falling time and time again to the same kind of sin. And I, I, I know that when that happens, uh, sin's power has been broken on the cross. When Jesus was put to death and rose again, the power of sin was, was defeated. Um, so sometimes a fast combined with prayer actually helps to actualize what Jesus achieved on the cross for us in our own lives. I've had times in my past where I've spent periods of time uh, in prayer and fasting, reading the scriptures so that I might get a really clear uh, picture of God's heart on sin in my own life. Um, there's been times when I've had moments where I've, I've gone without food and prayed and read, searched the scriptures on, on verses around a sin I was struggling with so I could understand what God thinks of that sin. Then I've grieved over that sin. And then I've come before God and said, God, would you heal me? Would you help me to live the way the scripture is calling me to do that? You know, sometimes you just say, oh, God, forgive me, help me go and on to your next thing. But actually praying and fasting about that, mourning over that, can really help to appropriate Jesus' victory on the cross in our lives. Thirdly, now, I want to just pause there and say, is there something that you can take to fasting? You know, when I say that, are there some sins in your life that you think they seem to have more a grip on me than I have a grip on them? And I want to just ask Christ, ask God to help me through this as I fast and pray for victory in that. Imagine that. If, if just that one or two things that are really troubling you could be defeated in this way. Thirdly, Fasting is a way of seeking the Lord's guidance. Moses fasted and prayed for 40 days and nights before recording the Ten Commandments. Um, the early church fasted and prayed and the Holy Spirit set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work of which they called them. That's Acts 13.2, it says. And it seems that Paul and Barnabas had regularly fasted and prayed before uh, being uh, before appointing church leaders. You know, this coming two weeks' time, we have an annual church meeting. And maybe you might be saying, I'd like to just spend a day fasting for our future deacons that might be appointed. I, I pray and fast that, that, that God would really allow us to pick the right people to lead us for the next year. Do you know how important it is having the right people on the diaconate of our church? 
You know, maybe you might want to fast and pray that the right, the people that God would want to be leading us in, in upcoming elections or in, or pray for your ministry leader in, in the area that you're serving in, that they might know, you know, a, a spiritual leader, a, a pastor, a ministry area leader. Do you know who Satan just loves to attack first? The one that has the most influence in Christian works. And your fasting and praying for them, for God's protection, can really help a great deal. I remember when I was feeling a strong desire to go into the ministry and I went away for a weekend and I prayed and fasted, asking God to guide me and give me direction. And I remember that whole weekend hearing nothing from God at all. I fasted and prayed and nothing happened. You know, what about this guidance stuff? But then I went back to work the following day and the following weeks and over the next few weeks, God spoke so clearly to me in a way that I don't believe he would have spoken if I hadn't clearly demonstrated my desire to hear from him no matter what in that time of fasting. You know, what about you? Are there important decisions that you're wanting to make? Are you wanting to know God's guidance in different areas? Could fasting actually help you in this way? Fourthly, fasting is a form of self-discipline. Do you know how when you're actually doing something, um, by doing the opposite helps you um, to learn discipline in, in, in that area. So, for instance, if you're a gossiper and you're talking or you can't, can't stop talking, actually the discipline of solitude or silence is very helpful for learning self-discipline when it comes to talking, talking, talking. Well, fasting is one that is not only good if you're into greed and gluttony, eating too much and and just wanting too much for yourself. But learning the self-discipline of going without food transfers right across into our spiritual lives to help us learn self-discipline in many other areas. Now, it doesn't have to be just from food that we stop fasting. We can, stop fast, we can fast from buying new clothes, from CDs, buying CDs, from watching TV, from eating chocolate. Oh, sorry, I wasn't supposed to say that. Some of you don't want me to say this kind of thing. <laughs> But, you know, fasting from so many things that can become addictive, learning the self-discipline of that helps us right across our lives. Final reason, when we fast, we can share what we have with those who don't have. Imagine this week, you know, think of World Vision and, and their 40-hour famine. What you actually do is you go without food to raise money so that people who don't have food Get food while you go without food. Isn't that a cool idea? It's a great way. You know, Isaiah 58 verse 7 says, Is not the kind of fast I have chosen to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer shelter when you see the naked, uh, when you see the naked to clothe him? You know, and you could fast this week and the food that you don't eat, your whole family don't eat if you make them all fast. No, that wouldn't be right. But the food that you didn't eat, you could bring next week and put it in the, um, in the basket for people who don't have any food. Wouldn't that be an incredible thing to do? And the more and more we can do this, we can not only pray for those that have less and stop um, as we fast, but also help others that, that, uh, by, by doing that and identify with them as well. Hey, this morning, I just want to come back to that thought. Imagine a church that was countercultural. You know, not just a church that came every week and heard stuff and just went back and lived normally. 
but a church where the people were so longing to see God's purposes fulfilled that there were many that were fasting and praying that God would be at work in mighty ways. Hey, I just want to challenge you. And as I challenge myself, is, it, is this week, maybe starting off with just a small, from miss lunch, from lunch to lunch. You know, why don't you just have lunch, the next day have lunch and miss the meals in between. That might be a first way to have your first effort at fasting. Have just some water or some juice to start with. And maybe then if that goes well, try it you know, a few weeks later to have a couple of, couple of times. And think, God, is there a sin? Is there something you're wanting to guide me in? Is there something more intimacy that you want from me? I remember when I was 20, uh, 20 25 years old, somewhere around there, I uh, was just longing to know God more. You know, I felt like I knew him. But uh, it's just the personal sense of God being with me always was something that I was just longing to know more. And so I fasted. And I uh, went, you know, for, for a week fasting and praying. And I think it, after the times, it was after doing a lot of little short things and trying a bit more, but I think that after slowing down and going without food and spending that time in prayer, uh, the breakthrough for my spiritual journey was so rewarding. And I think God wants us to consider fasting as his people. Why don't we pray as we close? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you say, and when you pray, we want to be your followers. We want to be those who sit every day at your feet and say, Lord, lead us. Lord, guide us. We're your children. And God, as you speak to each one of us and you speak to us individually and sometimes you speak to some in one way and you're challenging others, God, have your way in our church, we pray. Have your way as we continue to live for you each day. And we just want to say we're surrendered to you as we go without, as we give up things in this world that has so much. Help us be those that follow you wholeheartedly for your purposes, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Just as a final note on that, if you're pregnant,